Bibles now, if you would, please, and we'll turn to John chapter 11. This morning, I'd like to uh, go on with the theme that I started last week concerning God's call. If you are a believer today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've come to personal faith in Him, it's because God has given you a call, God opened up your understanding to the gospel, and you've come to Him because of that call. The Bible teaches that there is no one who comes to Christ on his own. No one comes to Christ until God has spoken to his heart, until God calls that person particularly, and then that person becomes a believer. We do not naturally seek the Lord. None of us are anxious to leave a life of sin that we're in. And the only way that we're ever going to change our minds and come to Christ for salvation is, is that the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in our hearts and then opens our eyes to this gospel. My message last week was about how Jesus had come to the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany. This was also where Lazarus lived, but at this particular time, Lazarus had died. And I use one verse of Scripture, one portion of Scripture from a text in John chapter 11, and this was just after Martha had made a confession of faith in Jesus. After Martha said to Jesus, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Then the Bible says in the next verse that Martha went and found her sister Mary and said to her, The Master is come and calleth for thee. I want us to go back to those verses just briefly this morning, and that will be our starting point for the message today. And the subject is, Have you answered the call? John chapter 11, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word. We're looking at verse number 25 to begin with today. John chapter 11, verse number 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great service that we've had so far today. And we thank you, Lord, for the great singing. We thank you for the veterans that we have in our church. And we thank you, Lord, for all those who've served their country well We praise your name for their defense of our freedoms, and we thank you so much for it. We ask you, Lord, as we open up your word today, that you'd show us what we should do. How how can we heal this land? And we believe it can only come through the gospel of Christ. And Lord, may you help us to give that gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I used this portion of scripture. The Master is come and calleth for thee to show you that God has given us a call to salvation. He's given us a call to separation and a call to service. Today I want to concentrate on the last part of that. I want to speak mostly to Christians this morning. And I want to ask you today, have you heard that call? And have you answered the call of salvation? And then have you entered into this call that God gives of service? And to be more particular, I I want to speak on the subject today uh, or on the area of giving the gospel to other people. The master has come and he's given a call for you to serve him, that is to be a witness for him. 
Now today we honored our men and women who served in the military. We do thank the Lord for them. They answered a call of service. They were willing to go. And every one of us here today, we ought to praise God's name that there are men and women who are willing to stand up and to defend the freedoms of the United States of America. They were called into the service and they went. But today I want to talk to you about another call. And this is a call that God issues to everyone who has become a believer in him And this is a call to a different army. This is a call into the army of the Lord. And God has a job for every one of us. If I ask you the question today, do you want to be a worker in this church? Do you want to have a part of what we're doing? Do you want to do something for the Lord here? I would tell you first that you don't need to be a Sunday school teacher to be a part of Brian Baptist Church. You don't have to have an elective office. Uh, You don't have to run for the office of deacon or have some other part in the church in that way. But every single person in this room today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can have a part of the ministry of Berean Baptist Church by just doing this. You don't have to have any formal job assignment. No title needs to be given next to your name. You just need to answer the call to be a witness. Now, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, now, and we'll turn to Acts chapter 8. And the rest of my message this morning will be taken from the book of Acts And this is the story of a man that was available for God's call. He answered God's call, and then God gave him fruit for his labor. Most of you are well acquainted with the story that we're going to read. This is the story about Philip, and how Philip was called to go speak to a solitary man, just one particular individual that God wanted to reach with the call of salvation. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 8, and I want to begin reading at verse number 26. This is a rather long reading, and so if you have someone sitting next to you that doesn't have a Bible, just lean over there if you would and share that with them so they can read the Scriptures with us. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went... And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch under great authority, under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, 
the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This story is a, just a wonderful example of how that you can, as an obedient believer, one who desires to answer the call of service, can lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are many Christians who say, well, I really don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know the words that I should use. How can I share my faith? And we find right here in this story all of the elements that you need in order to be a witness for Christ. If you want to answer God's call, then just listen to what I have to say to you today. Number one, if you want to answer God's call, you must depend on divine direction. First of all, you must depend on divine direction. And that means that you must realize that this is God's work. There are eternal plans and eternal purposes behind the salvation of every single sinner. There is no person in the world who has the spiritual ability to come to Christ in salvation. God's salvation takes the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit before anyone will ever believe the gospel message. And so before you go, you have to realize that if a person will be saved, it has to be God's work. You can't do it. You can't convince someone to be saved. You can't persuade them in your greatest eloquence that you might use and the tricks and and all different kinds of things that you might attempt to use. You can't win a single soul to Jesus Christ. You have to write this down and remember this also today. You can't convince them. God must convict them. It's not in your power to convince people to come to Christ. Now, many Christians stop right here and they say, well, I'm not eloquent. Uh, I don't speak well enough. Can you show me some kind of a trick? Can you show me some kind of a technique that will work in order to win people to the Lord? Well, I'm not really into tricks and techniques, and you probably noticed that. Since God has not left it to us to convince people to be saved... And since the Holy Spirit is the one who must do the convicting, all that you really need to do to be a witness for Jesus Christ is simply to be willing to go. If you know how to be saved yourself, then you know enough to tell someone else how they can be saved. Now, Philip was one who depended upon divine direction. There was an angel that came and spoke to him, and he told Philip what he must do. And so in verse number 27, we find that Philip listened to that angel, and he arose and went. Now, some of you might think as I say that, well, if uh, it takes divine direction, if I'm going to be like Philip, then the thing that I'll do, I'll wait for an angel to come and tell me that I need to speak to someone about the Lord. Well, no one, no angel's going to come. You don't need to wait on angels. One thing that we do know about Philip, we read that he was already preaching God's Word. He, He was already witnessing to people. He was already winning souls. And what this angel did was simply come and switch the directions of where Philip should go. So there's something else to think about this when you consider divine direction. Also, God knows the person and the place. If you read earlier in Acts chapter 8, you'll find that Philip was already having great success where he was. He was preaching in Samaria. There were crowds that were gathered around him. There were people that were being saved. People were listening. They were receiving Christ. And so Philip may have wondered, God, why would you call me? Why would you take me away from this place? Why would you send me to another place when I'm having such great success right here with the people that I'm preaching to? And yet that's what God did. God called him to go to a seldom-traveled road in the south of Israel to find one single solitary man 
to give the gospel. If there's anything that we ought to learn from that, it should be this, that God has his eye on the individual. God knows every one of us. He knows where we are. He knows the names of each individual. He knows the names that are written in that book of life. And God knows exactly where he can find those people. And so God doesn't cast out a net hoping to snag a few with the gospel. Instead, he sends the gospel where it must go to the people who need to hear it. And it reaches the person that God intends to reach. And so there is... One man here that's out on a desert road. And Philip was instructed to go and to preach to that one man. And he didn't try to figure out why God switched his direction. And that's because God knows the person and the place. Here was one lost man. And God sent Philip to find him. You know, I'm glad that I believe in a God like that. I'm glad that he's interested in the individual You remember the story that Jesus told about the shepherd who had 99 sheep and one sheep was lost. And what did the shepherd do? He left the 99 and he went to find that one lost sheep and to bring him into the fold. So I'm glad that God sees me individually. He knows me individually. It wasn't any surprise to God when I became a believer in him. He knew exactly where I was because he purposed that. He planned that. He knew the person. That was me. And he knew the place that I would be. And that was in that little country church when I was just a young boy in Kentucky. So when you go out, God will give you the person for you to speak to. and You never have to worry about how convincing that you will be. You don't have to worry about how well that you can speak. Because the Holy Spirit will convict the heart of that person in the place where God has called you to go. Now let's go on because you may be ready to go and you you want to answer this call. And so God may lead you to some unexpected people that are in unexpected places. So what must you do? Well, number two is you must expect the unexpected. The angel said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Gaza is a city that lies on the coastline of Israel, in the south of Israel. It's on the shortest path from Israel into Egypt and to point south on the African continent. Some say that there were actually two roads at this time that led south, and we're inclined to believe that. Uh, the shortest distance that you could get from Israel into Africa to Egypt was on this road, and the main road was a very well-traveled road. But here we find in the Scriptures that it says that this was a desert road. In other words, this is not the road that was the most traveled. This was a road that hardly anyone ever traveled. So for this man to be on this lesser-traveled road is certainly not a coincidence because God did know where he was and and Philip did not know what to expect when he went there. He didn't know what kind of person it would be who would be there. Uh, Many people might even be afraid to travel this particular road because it was the lesser travel road. There was always the danger of thieves and robbers. So Philip had no idea what he would find when God sent him to this solitary road out there in the middle of the desert to speak to this one man. But on this road... Philip found what he did not expect to find. There are three characteristics of this man that made him a very unusual find. First of all, he was a scorned man. In verse number 27, it says that he was a man from Ethiopia. Anybody here ever heard the word prejudiced? Yes? 
In our recent elections, you probably heard this thrown around a lot of times that one or the other candidate wants to play the race card. Are there people in the United States that are actually prejudiced? I mean, does that idea shock you? Probably it doesn't because it's not an idea that came about in our lifetime and not one that came about in the last few years and it wasn't, you know, it's not an idea born yesterday. There are many people who are prejudiced and none were more prejudiced than the Jews. And for the Jews, it wasn't black versus white and it wasn't uh, Latinos versus whites or the blacks. This was the Jews against everybody else. This is Jew against Gentile, against the whole non-Jewish world. And it just so happens that among all the nations of the world that the Gentile or the Jews hated the most, the Ethiopians were those people. These were the most hated people to the Jews. The great 17th and 18th century commentator Matthew Henry said, the Ethiopians were looked upon as the meanest and most despicable of the nations, blackamoors, as if nature had stigmatized them. Yet the gospel is sent to them and divine grace looks upon them. These were the most hated of all the Gentiles. And yes, you can be sure of this, folks, that their skin color played a part in that. The Jews did not like their skin color. Matthew Henry, that I just read, used the word blackamoors. That's an archaic term that we don't use today. But in his day, that was a very serious racial epithet. Now, it's sad to say, friends, that racial prejudice is a barrier for some Christians. There are some people who are off-limits because the church doesn't like their skin color. They may not like their nationality. And I don't think that we fully understand the natural prejudice that Philip had to overcome to go and speak to this one man. Here we see that Philip willingly and gladly went to speak to him when before... When before Philip was saved, this was a person that he would never entertain entering into a conversation with. And many people overlook these kinds of scriptures because this is exactly what God intended to overcome when he sent Philip and he sent uh, other preachers, when he sent the apostles all over the world with the gospel of Christ. Galatians 3 says, Paul said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's not a statement about the universal fatherhood of God or the universal brotherhood of man, but it is a statement that in the eyes of God, your skin color doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. And one person doesn't receive salvation or greater blessings from God because of his sin, because of his, or skin rather, because of his nationality because of any social status that he might have, God does not respect people in that way. And so when God calls you to go, it might be to someone that you're not quite comfortable with. Maybe they're not your preferred color. Maybe it's not your preferred neighborhood. Maybe it's not your preferred class of people for you to speak to. And if it isn't, then God help you, because you need to speak to him and find out why. There's some serious talking to the Lord that you need to do because we need to be prepared to give the gospel to every single person. And that's because God may lead you to some people that you least expect. Now, it's interesting here that the racial difference and the way that 
Philip had to be changed inwardly to deal with this, actually, and then to overcome that natural prejudice, actually becomes very ironic in this scripture, because not only was this a scorned man, but it turns out that this man was a superior man. I mean, he was a eunuch under the authority of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And that means that he was a man of position and esteem. Candace is not a proper name here. It actually means a title like Pharaoh or like Caesar. And this man was a eunuch. And that doesn't mean that he was a sexual eunuch, but it means that he was a man of position. And his position was that he was the secretary of the treasury of the entire nation of Ethiopia. You know, sometimes we get the idea that the eunuch is just one person sitting out there on that desert road. No one else is around. Philip comes upon him, and he's standing there in the back of the chariot, and he's reading from the Word of God. That's not what it was like. This man would not have been traveling alone. He was in an entourage. He was in a caravan. Most likely, the chariot that he was sitting in was a very large carriage. It would have had a sitting area in it, a canopy over it to protect him for the sun. He was a powerful man. He was a government official. And you just didn't walk up to a man like this and start a conversation with him. He wasn't a common man. And a poor, dusty, traveling Jew like Philip would not have the opportunity normally to speak to a person like this. He couldn't even get close to him. And that's another thing that this scripture reminds us of, that it's not just poor people, it's just not middle-class people who need to be reached with the gospel. Sometimes we're guilty of having an, or putting an unintended reproach upon the gospel of Christ as if the message of Christ is not sophisticated enough for rich people. Oh, this person has too much education. Uh, he's too rich. He has too much, uh, uh, he, he's too high society. He's too sophisticated. He has every reason in the world why he might want to reject the gospel of Christ. Jesus did say that it's harder to reach rich people because they have a tendency to be self-reliant and to be independent. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But I pointed out, if you remember when we studied that verse, that the Scripture says not many. It doesn't say not any. And God may lead you right into the path of someone that you did not expect to see, and it might very well be one of these people. So don't get the idea that you have a message that doesn't measure up to their standards. Whether a person is scorned, and that means he's beneath your social status, or whether he is superior, he's above your social status, all people need to hear the gospel of Christ. And so when you go, expect the unexpected, because God may surprise you with someone who needs to hear the gospel in a place where you least expected it. But then there is another interesting point about this man, and perhaps this could be the most surprising of all. Thirdly, he was a seeking man. Sometimes people are seeking, and it's not because it's in the heart of man to do so. We've we've already said that man doesn't naturally seek God, but when you find someone who is seeking, that means that the Holy Spirit is already working in that person's heart. He's already ready. His heart's being prepared for the gospel. And we don't always see it as clearly as we do with this man. See, when you think about your opportunities to present the gospel, don't you really think that more often than not, it's you that's trying to gauge how you can break the ice to speak to someone? I mean, it's you that's sitting back there looking at the person's body language and wondering all the time, are they going to be receptive to gospel? How am I going to enter into this conversation? What am I going to say to them? 
You wonder how you're going to break the ice. And you're always wondering, is this an appropriate time to give them the gospel? Well, sometimes God surprises you because the person that you want to talk to has just been waiting for someone to come along with help. See, here was a man who was a Jewish proselyte. He'd been to Jerusalem. He went there to worship. But what he found in Jerusalem was not what he was looking for. I mean, there wasn't something, or something there wasn't satisfying him in that. And so he, here he is, he's sitting in his chariot, he's reading from Isaiah the prophet, but he's yet to understand the word of God. He doesn't understand what this means. He's reading about someone, but he has no personal relationship with that someone. I don't think Philip expected to find anything like this. Not this man. I mean, this man had gone to worship God. And the word worship there in verse number 27 indicates that he's returning from a pilgrimage. So here is a person who is a devout, honest seeker of the things of God. Now, I think he's like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He had a heart that was already prepared by the Holy Spirit for this message. Only here, here is a man that it's much more obvious in than it is in most people. Now, you'll be surprised that sometimes that God will put you into the path of people that are troubled, people that are seeking, they're looking for answers. And you have to be the person with that answer, and God has put you there because you do have the answers. You know, I've seen this happen with people at work. A co-worker has a problem. They don't know where they're going to turn. They don't know what to do about this. But there happens to be a Christian in that workplace, a Christian there who is in the same office or on the same assembly line, and this is a Christian who lives a godly life, one who lives out his Christianity, and God puts both of these people in the same place at the same time. Now the question is, have you answered God's call to be the person who has the answers? Does anybody really know that you do have the answers? When you're ready and you are available to God, expect that he will do the unexpected. God will use you when you least expect it. So there may be somebody who's already been watching you. They've been looking at your life. They've seen what you do at work. They're already aware, perhaps, that you are a Christian. They're watching you. They have a problem, and you didn't even realize it. You didn't know it. It may be that God puts you in the path just like he did Philip for this eunuch. We read this scripture last week in 1 Peter 3 verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that seeketh, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So you need to be prepared because God may very well put you into the path of someone who is already seeking. Now, let's go on just a step further because it may be that you are right now in somebody's path. God has put you into the path of someone. So what do you do next? Well, number three is you must finalize the faith. Here we have one of the clearest examples in all the word of God that God was directing the entire process of this man coming to Christ for salvation. Philip was the witness who was directed to go to this particular person. Here we have a man whose heart is already in the receptive mode. He's already reading the scriptures. He's in a passage in the Old Testament that's the very best that you could read about the sacrifice of Christ. 
And remarkably, in verse number 29, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, and he says, go join yourself to his chariot. Now, I don't think that we can read this part and wonder, what will the outcome be here? Now, will this person be saved, or won't he be saved? I sure do hope he makes the right choice. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. The man is reading Isaiah chapter 53. He's puzzled by the meaning of this text. He's reading it aloud, and Philip did something. He seized the opportunity, and that's what you have to do. You must seize the opportunity. God put Philip in this man's path, and he took that opportunity because this man's not going to sit there forever. I mean, it's a busy man. He's not going to linger long in this place. He's reading the Scripture, and if he doesn't understand, very soon he's going to move on. He's got to get back to his duties. And so Philip heard him reading, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And that was Philip's opening to speak to him. Friends, don't miss the openings. Don't put those things off, because people that you want to talk to can be off very quickly to something else. And you've lost that opportunity to speak to them the gospel of Christ. Now, certainly I'll tell you this, that God is in control of the timing of every single person's salvation. But you'll never find in the Scriptures that we're encouraged to think this way, that if I don't reach that person, they will eventually be reached. Someone will give them the gospel. The Bible never tells us to think like that. And so when there is an opportunity, don't sit still, don't be quiet, open your mouth and speak. And when God opens a door of opportunity, it's your responsibility as a child of God to walk through that door. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian gave an answer that's interesting, and you might not even see it at first. But he says, how can I except some man should guide me? So you seize the opportunity, and the next thing you do is you speak with authority. He said, how can I? Now, do you see what that is? This is an indication of helplessness. This is a realization that God's word and God's message is too far above our understanding and our learning. The only reason that any person in this room today understands what Isaiah 53 has to say, the only reason is because someone has already showed you. You just don't pick that up and start reading it and understand what it means. You're not going to figure it out on your own. But what I really want to point out here is that second part of the question. He says, how can I accept some man should guide me? And the word guide there is spoken as if this person is blind. And so, he articulates by his own experience the very same words that the Apostle Paul would write years later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this man needed a guide because he was blind. The word guide there speaks as much about the condition of the man who needed to see, but it also speaks much about the person who's called to be the guide. It says something about the person who answers the question. Because this is a word that means to speak and to interpret with authority. In other words, what he needs is someone to explain it, someone who can interpret this correctly and has the authority to do so. And the person with the authority was Philip. And so we read in verse number 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, 
and preached unto him Jesus. So Philip is God's man at God's appointed hour there in a particular place. And if you've been saved by the gospel of Christ, you have the authority as God's child to open your mouth and to preach Jesus. Now this man was imperfect in his faith, God planted a desire there. God opened up his heart to receive the gospel. He was in the right place. He's reading the Bible. But it's not until Philip pointed him to the Christ of Isaiah chapter 53 that this man believed the gospel. So the eunuch asked, I pray thee. He says, I'm asking you, who's Isaiah speaking of when he says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter? And right there at that point, Philip began to preach to him Jesus. Now, we know the result of it. We've read the story. This man believed at that very moment. He became a Christian. His soul was satisfied. What he'd heard in Jerusalem did not satisfy him. But now, with this explanation of what the prophet says, what Isaiah 53 means, he's perfectly satisfied. Now, he hears about Jesus. He believes the gospel, and he's saved. Then he took that next step of obedience, which was to be baptized. Now, having said all of this, looking at the story, how was this man saved? Well, we all know he's saved because somebody explained Isaiah chapter 53. Somebody explained to him about Jesus. How was he saved? Well, he has the Word of God there. He believes the Word of God. But just as surely as I can ask you, how was this man saved in that way? I can say again, how was this man saved? He was saved because Philip answered a call. Because Philip was the one who was willing to go into the desert to see this one man and give him the gospel of Christ. So he's saved. And the conclusion of that is he continues his journey. He's not saddened any longer because he can't understand. He goes away rejoicing that his eyes have been opened to the gospel of Christ. And that's the question for all of us. Have you answered God's call? He's called you to salvation, and now he calls you to service. He calls you to be a witness. There are opportunities every day that are available for you. And the question is, are you availing yourself? Are you taking those opportunities that God gives? Now, as I close the message today, I want to just give you an illustration of what I'm speaking of. Sometimes God gives you opportunities for witnessing, and those opportunities go right over your head because you're not looking. There was a Christian man who was coming out of his house on Sunday morning, all dressed to go to church, ready to attend the services. And there was a neighbor of his who came out of the, his house at the very same time. And this man was dressed to go golfing, and he had his golf clubs with him. So he called out to the Christian, and he said, John, he said, why don't you go golfing with me today? And John, the Christian, replied, well, I can't go golfing. It's Sunday. I, ha- I have to go to church today. It's Sunday. And the neighbor said, well, John, I admire your faith. And I admire that you have a determination to follow your faith. And here it is Sunday that you're going to church. I admire that. But he said, John, this is the seventh or eighth time that I've asked you to go golfing with me on Sunday. But not once have you asked me to go to church with you. Have you had opportunities? Are you quick to answer a lunch invitation and not return it with a church invitation of your own? This is exactly what I'm talking about. God has given us a call to service. You don't need angels. 
to come and tell you that call or repeat the call. It's written down for every single Christian here today. The pages of the Bible are filled with the responsibility that we have to give the gospel to others. The question is, have you answered that call? And I hope some of you will do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we, we thank you for the great services that we've had today. We thank you for the opportunity to open the Word of God. And Lord, may we all see that there is no way to change the direction of our country unless we are people who are ready with the gospel of Christ. That's the only thing that will change a person's heart. Morally, our nation has become unfit for any blessing that you might want to put upon us. But we beg you, Lord, we implore you, call some of your people out who will start witnessing and start giving the gospel. May we even see this church filled with people who want to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord. Help us to respond in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.